That's what he says. Like that's what they talk about. Like a lot of their conversations are incredibly curse. Like it is, yeah. they're incredibly graphic. Yes, it is a yeah. movie. Yeah. So and if you're watching it and you're too sensitive for it, then just switch the film off. Well, yeah, you might want to anyway because it's not. Well, it's not very good. I mean, great. that's a, yeah, it's rubbish. Like. <laughs> Hello there. Welcome to On The Beat, the podcast that uncovers full frontal male nudity in cinema. My name is Laura, and I am joined by my co-host, Ryan. Hello. Hey. So today we will be uncovering the 2003 thriller In The Cut, starring Meg Ryan, Mark Ruffalo, and this one is directed by Jane Campion. Yes. Tell me, tell me about Jane. Tell me about Sweet Jane, Ryan. So, um, I'm not super familiar with a lot of her stuff, um, but she's a filmmaker hailing from New Zealand, mm. and uh, she's also the only woman in uh, film history to ever receive the Palm d'Or. What, what is this? What is that? It's the top prize at the Cannes Film Festival. Okay. Do yeah. you know what, what did she win it for? Oh, she got it for the piano. The now, piano. Yeah, so when I talk about Jane Campion, the only film I'm familiar of in terms of her filmography is The Piano. Okay. Yeah. Do you um, know, when was that? The Piano was back in 93. Okay. Yeah, so a good decade, decade before In the Cut. I saw The Piano, and I remember it specifically because Harvey Keitel gets naked in that movie. Yeah, right, okay. <laughs> Um, I, yeah, I saw it in a film class back in my undergrad mm-hmm. years ago. I was like, I'm going to take a film class and I'm going to learn about film. And I yep. remember watching the piano and I was like, what is this? Yeah. I liked it though. Yeah, no, I think it's, uh, from what I remember, I think it's a, I think it's a very good film. I think back when I was reading Peter Biskin's books, uh, he did a, he did a book called Down in Dirty Pictures, which is about the rise of Miramax. And the piano is is one of those uh, Miramax released films. Um, Who is Miramax? Is that a Harvey Keitel thing? Harvey Keitel thing. Hold on. Let's think of a Weinstein. Name. Yeah, it's the Weinstein Company. Okay. So yeah. Miramax is a Weinstein Company thing. Miramax was. Miramax, and then Miramax disbanded and became the Weinstein Company. Oh. So, yeah. Uh, they're also responsible for Dimension Films as well, which was their side uh, horror segment, basically. Right. That's I remember where... that specifically from Scream. Yes, you get that from Scream. And okay. uh, also another, The Faculty, as I remember. Oh. Yeah. I remember uh, that movie. Yeah. Robert Rodriguez movie. Yeah. The Faculty with Elijah Wood. Yeah. Um, no, I don't, I don't know. I was going to say Idle Hands. I remember that. How dead, uh, Devin Sawa was in that one. Yeah, it's just hands those, that kill people. Those, yeah. uh, from Teen Bop. Oh, okay. And Beat. I think Beat was one of them. I don't know. I don't know. Teen Bop, Teen Beat. Are you talking teen about like... Heartthrob. Are you talking about like Teen Magazines? Yeah. Oh, well, how the fuck would I ever know Bop. about these things? Be- well, no. they're, you know, like, pre-teen porno, almost. Like, yeah, well. 
<laughs> Lovely. I didn't think we'd ever use that phrase oh, in a podcast. Yeah. Well, it's like I wanted to see all my favorite stars from Home Improvement, <laughs> like posing in like full page spreads that I could post onto my wall. Oh God. Right, Jonathan okay. Taylor Thomas, JTT. Oh, the Home Improvement boy. Yeah. Oof. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck that show. Um, oh. Right. So. <laughs> Let's How let's get you? let's get back to Jane Campion. Oh right, right. There you go. Yeah. I can't do that. No, not a lot of people. It was a really good Tim Allen. Whether or not I can do it, should I really do it? Can you do that like? Plus, I think what what Tim Allen seems to, <laughs> seems to tap into. Well, honestly, I think the kind of what Tim Allen was able to kind of tap into with home improvement was that just uh, that kind of grunty masculinity that, that, that dudes love when they like pick up like a hand drill. You know what I mean? Like they just like, there's like just drilling, drilling into a bit of wood. Drilling holes. You know what I mean? I'm a man. And to be honest, like some, drill holes. sometimes like when I pick up a drill and some screws and stuff like that, and I see something that I need to build and I feel like I'm creating something, like I feel like Jesus Christ. Your eyes light up when you hold like a power tool or a hammer or an axe. Yes. I see it glowing uh-huh. in your eyes. Because also like, I mean, I, I remember the film like Driller Killer as well. And like, you know how dangerous these things can become, you know, eventually. So I have not seen that. Um, well, it's... Driller Killer? Yeah, I'm not too sure who... I think it's... Is it Abel Ferreira? No, it's a 100% real movie if you look it up. <laughs> if you look it up, I will I will continue the talk about Jane Campion. Okay, all right, yeah. I'll look it up we have gone we have gone on some tangents already. So, yeah, Jane Campion, she hails from New Zealand. She's a New Zealand filmmaker. Um, she was best known for basically making short films before she made her effectively her directorial debut so all the way back in 1982 she made Peel which was a short film that won the short film Palm d'Or that year oh yeah so she's they really love her they do like they like her and they like her stuff um what was her first feature film then her first feature film is Sweetie Sweetie okay yeah Yeah. I was I started to watch that the other day and then got distracted as happens I yeah I mean yeah, it's uh I've not I've not seen it. I've seen bits of it from like when you were watching it. But for the most part, yeah, I don't know if I've ever just ever been that interested in seeing it. Um in nineteen ninety she makes a film called An Angel at My Table. And then obviously in ninety three is the piano. Um Yes. Which is obviously it would be seen as a peak, a peak for her. So basically from making short films in the eighties to now making feature films in uh, the 90s, she does peak with the piano. Now, okay, I, I okay. say that, I say that because according to Wikipedia, which again, we'll take with a dose of, you know, dose of salt, uh, the films start to dip a little bit in quality. Okay, so okay. What we get to is The Portrait of a Lady in 96. I've heard really good things about that one. Nicole Kidman... I think that's how they met. Right. Which will kind of roll into in yeah. the cut later, but but do go on. Yes. Uh, after that, she makes a film called Holy Smoke, which is obviously Kate Winslet and Harvey Keitel ah. in 1999. I haven't seen that one yet, and I don't know if Harvey no. gets naked in that one also. I don't know. I think any excuse for Harvey to, to whip, his, whip his tackle out, I mean, at some point, he's, he's game. Like we haven't even delved into Harvey Keitel, but he will be an on the beat all star 
fuck yeah. No, He's we have got on yeah. high on the list. We will do a lot of Kaitel yeah, movies. We've got, yeah, we've got plenty of Kaitel to kind of go through. We um, have a lot to uncover. <laughs> yes. Uh, but after Holy Smoke, we have In the Cut, which is what we're going to be talking about today. Yay! My ignorance is rather telling about the works <laughs> and life of Jane Campion. Um, yeah, I just, she's not really been a filmmaker I've been looking to 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 seek out for for any sort of reason um like i said i saw the piano i think the piano is really good um and then we've obviously watched in the cut and you're welcome yeah unfortunately (laughs) in the cut for me personally is uh i think it's one of the worst films i've ever seen i loved watching it with you Mm. <laughs> what she means is that whenever whenever we watch something together and it's obvious that I absolutely fucking hate it, I get very angry. He suffers, and I maybe suffer I just like to watch your suffering. I don't know. Yeah, it I amuses mean, me. Some people have said that before, <laughs> um, you know. But then they're the sort of people who deserve to be in prison, saying things like that about people. Uh oh. Yeah. Well. So obviously, like in in prepping for this. Um, I got I got to revisit the piano, obviously, and uh, you know I mean I quite I quite like that movie. I think it I think it looks beautiful. I think it's a really cool story. I like that it's a period piece, and I like that the uh, I enjoy the uh, just the tone of it all because it's very bleak just in general. Yes. And uh, Holly Hunter's in it, and I quite like Holly Hunter. I know you do. And she plays a Scotswoman in the movie. And if anyone hasn't guessed by this point, I'm also a Scotsman, so <laughs> that's always it. I think um, the funny thing is, is that she plays a Scotswoman, mm-hmm. yet uh, she doesn't have to do the accent. No, she's actually very lucky in that regard. Because that's um, tough. Yeah. What she does do, though, and this is the wording of the of the Wikipedia, so uh, she plays someone who is electively mute. I can't remember that movie. I can't remember what happens to her. She doesn't but... say anything. But like what I what I like is that she's obviously made a conscious decision to just say nothing, which is kind of how I feel like talking about in the cut. Is you I just wish, want to... yeah, you I just, just wish. To... I just want this to end. Like I don't really want to talk about it. Like I really don't like it. There's going to be plenty of occasions where I'm going to render myself effectively mute because I'm uh, passing the passing the. You're getting the reins on this one. I have so much to say. Yeah, we were watching it. I've, I, I mean, I'll be 100 percent honest. I maybe saw some of In the Cut, like, previously, um, but this was the first time watching it all the way through, and it's a fucking disaster. I saw this movie maybe eight years ago. Um, It was another one of my original old-time dick flick nights. I invited friends over, and I said, Hey, pals, you want to see Mark Ruffalo's dick? And they obliged, came over, And, of course, one of my big early mistakes was that I didn't get the unrated director's cut, which I did a lot in the past. I don't know. And this time we did not make that mistake. We bought it. We now own it. (laughs) The director's unrated cut of this film, which has an extra minute. Not a whole lot more, but it's just more more wang. It doesn't deserve to, like, exist, to be fair. You know what? When a director's <laughs> cut is literally one minute longer. It's one minute of extra penis. Yeah. And that is the minute that we deserve. 
Yeah, that's, I mean, I guess so. I guess so, like, I mean, it wouldn't be part of this podcast. What a shame that this film is now part of the podcast. If there wasn't because... an unrated cut, then you wouldn't have had to have seen it. And, um... Film makes me a little bit sick. <laughs> the, um... Yeah, well, that's the thing, like, even a director's cut, like, doesn't fit, you know, doesn't fix the story or anything like that. It kind of still continues to be this, this big blobby mess. But, yeah. The shaky... Camera, Ugh. out of focus, yeah. with the there's worst costumes I've ever yeah, there's, seen. Yeah, there's there's some there's some stuff here. So Ryan, you mentioned portrait of a lady or mm. the portrait of a lady, which is one of Jane Campion's earlier films in 1996. Where I think I think this is the first time that she worked with Nicole Kidman. Okay, but apparently ever since they worked together, they'd wanted to do something else. I guess. Kidman was asking Campion all the time, like, what can we work on? Give me a project. I want to do something else with you. And that's when, in the cut, the book by Susanna Moore came out. I guess somewhere in between the portrait of a lady and obviously when they made this film. Mm -hmm. And they decided to work on it together. So this is kind of how this little in-the-cut baby was born, was because of Nicole Kidman and Jane Campion. Okay. And they worked on this film for ages together. Mm. Ages okay. and ages and ages. And Nicole Kidman was supposed to play Franny, oh, which was Meg eventually yep, played by Meg Ryan. Okay, got it. And what happened was, unfortunately, or fortunately, mm. <laughs> for Nicole Kidman, she was getting a divorce from Tom Cruise. At the oh, yeah. time. Yeah, good for her. I know. Yeah. In 2001, so they were going through a divorce. They were probably working on getting this film out or, you know, pre-production and working on it. And she was like, I can't. I just can't. Tom Cruise. And um, mm-hmm. so she decided to back away. She was a producer still on the film, but decided okay. to give up the part. And that's when... Meg Ryan kind of came on the scene and apparently Meg Ryan was working with her acting coach at the time and they okay. had been using the script for in the cut during their acting classes and mm. or you know acting lessons I didn't realize that Meg Ryan took acting classes in you know the 2000s I mean I don't know she'd been typecast as being a, a being someone who was cast into romantic comedies mostly America's with sweetheart starring co-starring uh Tom Hanks or something like that, then really she wasn't getting film roles. So Yeah. Yeah, so she's trying to go against the grain, against the ropes. <laughs> Sorry. That's another Meg Ryan movie. Um oh. didn't do well. <laughs> but she uh yeah, was using this script and contacted Jane Campion and was like, I wanna do this movie if it's still available. If it's still available, I want to I want to mm. be in this film. Right. So, okay. Yeah, I guess that's how that all started. Yeah, that's very interesting. Certainly, in uh, two thousand and three, you would have had your your pick of the litter of uh, big name stars to kind of pick from. You know, I guess there's some very particular things that uh, is it Franny Franny's character kind of yes. has to do um, through the course of the story. So. Might have been someone that, say, with a bigger name, might have uh, been adverse to doing. Right. Yeah, but if you're so, trying to get out of that box, of that America's Sweetheart box... Yeah, it definitely, definitely seems like it's quite a significant risk for her. And... Um, and and I'm not, I don't think... I don't know if it paid off. No. 
No. No, it didn't. I mean, I think she kind of shied away from Hollywood after that because everyone was angry for some reason. Um, they weren't expecting her to do something like this, and weirdly, people got upset. I, I think that's very strange. I mean, David Moss from Fox TV didn't didn't you know he enjoyed it. He said Meg Ryan is dynamite. Hmm. Yeah, she well, delivers you... an explosive performance. Ex- Debatable. I don't, know. I don't know what film he saw, if that's what he's saying. Yeah, I mean, this is a very kind of slow-moving film, but... Slow, dreary, well, highly she saturated. Did, she did an interview with... what? Well, who was that guy? What was his name? Was it Michael Parkinson? Oh, uh, yeah, Parky. Yeah. yeah. She did an interview with him, and he continues to this day to say that she was the most difficult guest he had on the show. Mm. And he asked her these horrible things in the interview, like, how could you be naked? You should have prepared your audience for doing something different, which I think is an asinine thing to say to somebody. Yeah. You don't have to ask anyone's permission to do a film role. You can do whatever you want. You know, good for her. She got to do a nakey film with Mark Ruffalo. I mean, like, who's going to turn that down? Yeah, but I think end of the day is that she had a particular image in the media, and I almost feel like if you decide to stray from that particular image, you will just get ripped apart. She was already having a bad time. Like, this was a bad time for her. Like, Nicole Kidman was having a rough time with her marriage that was dissolving. And right before that... Meg Ryan was having a hard time. She was getting divorced from Dennis Quaid. And she was getting a lot of shit in the media Mm. going, how could you have done this to Dennis Quaid? They were saying that she had an affair with Russell Crowe. Oh, did she? she I have no idea. Oh, okay. I haven't asked her. No, she hasn't phoned in. She hasn't written me back. She hasn't responded to my email. But no, no. no. I mean, she did a film with him in 2000, I think, Proof of Life, which I have not seen. I think, yeah, I think I have. It's like an abduction. It's like an abduction movie. Yeah, Yeah, there were rumors after that that they were having an affair Hmm. and everyone was up in arms about it and then calling her this and that. But she kept quiet about it because she's like, this is none of your business. Mm. But the truth of the matter is, well, as far as what Meg Ryan said later on, that Dennis Quaid was the one that was having an affair, which is why they were getting a divorce. But she's trying not not to run his name through the mud. Yeah. You know, so she's ending up having a really messy public divorce. You know, Nicole Kidman's having a really messy divorce. Yeah, the gamut of celebrity gossip. I mean, it's really... Fucking trash. I know. (laughs) Also, uh, Mark Ruffalo was actually having a really bad time. Like, 2001 seemed to be a really bad time for all of these people, for whatever reason. Y2K came in. Ouch, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Y2K. Y2K. (laughs) (laughs) Well, um, the treasure, Mark Ruffalo, had a brain tumor. Yeah, I, I did not hear about this until we started doing uh, research for this podcast. He had a brain tumor. It was benign, but he had to have surgery. Yeah. And ha- he's still deaf in his left ear. Wow. Okay. From that surgery. I think he had partial facial paralysis, but that's healed. But yeah, he had a brain tumor and he didn't know if he was ever going to work again. I think this is one of the first things that he did, if not the first thing he did after yeah. recovering from brain surgery. Yeah, if you think about the stuff he's done post-2001, obviously wow. post this surgery and stuff like that. Yeah. yeah we're, uh, 
you'd be eternally grateful for for his uh, still his inclusion within the 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 the, uh, the Hollywood production system or just uh, filmmaking in general. I agree. I absolutely agree. Yeah. Jennifer Jason Lee and Kevin Bacon are also in this movie. Yeah, they are. Which is wild. Yeah, Kevin Bacon has this very strange role in the film. Um, He's very creepy. Very creepy, very strange, very kind of highly strung, but he's only in it for like a handful of scenes. He's yeah. barely in the film. But I mean, he really steals the show every time you see his face. Yeah, he does kind of like eat the scenery a wee bit. He does. Um, the tiny dog. Yeah, that ugly ass dog. <laughs> um, well, the thing is, kind of the opposite of Jennifer Jason Lee because she's, she's yeah, she's quite integral to uh, uh, Franny. Because uh, they're they're like sisters or half sisters. Yes, they're half sisters. Yeah, I think so. they're in the film. Their dad fooled around a lot, so they're both looking for love, looking for that eternal love. Yeah. Well, no, I guess like yeah, Kevin Bacon's quite important. He's there as an example of Franny's past, like, like love life, like yes. the sort of people that she was dating before she effectively ends up with uh, Mark Ruffalo. Um, and yeah, Kevin Bacon's just a upgrade. Just a nut, yeah, nutcase. Yeah, <laughs> he's an upgrade. An upgrade from Ruff. No, no, no. Ruff's an upgrade from the Bacon. Oh, oh okay. At oh, least yeah. in terms of their characters. But oh. I mean, if you gave me straight up regular Kevin Bacon, also a treasure, and Ruffalo. Yeah. Who's not going to pick Ruffalo? Well, that's true. I mean, as we as we come to find out, she becomes a fan of the Ruff. She likes, she likes bit, it rough. She, she likes it rough. <laughs> she likes a bit of the rough stuff. She can't get enough? Enough of, of that rough. Of that rough. There's going to be plenty of mentions of the rough <laughs> during the course of this, this movie. Let me read to you the letterboxed synopsis of this film before does I it, tell you. Does it start with eternally boring? Almost. Oh, shit. You want to hear the tagline first? Uh, actually, I, I, wrote, do. I wrote it down. Oh, do you want to? Do, okay, Ryan, yeah, I wrote it down. Tell me the tagline because it's on the bit. Hold of on. In the cut. It's in. Uh, it's. It was on the DVD. I'm trying to. Oh, here it is. Okay. Everything you know about desire is dead wrong. Ooh. Is that the right one? Yes. All right. Yeah, it was on the DVD box. Wow. And also to go on about the DVD box because obviously we got the DVD. Whoever designed the fucking DVD over here and got the got the director's cut all sorted and sorted out has the smallest. So if I wanted to find out what the film was about before we, we put it back in, you couldn't fucking read the thing. Because I don't know, one, I'm not that old, and I don't think my eyesight's that terrible, but I've got to hold the DVD box, like, maybe two feet away from me, because obviously I can't have it too close to my face. Can't read the bastard and thing. The type is very, very small. Because they've got this graphic design thing they've put on. It's just a silhouette of her of her head. Mm-hmm. And there's there's, like inserts of images inside of the silhouette and stuff like that fills the entire the entire side of that box to the point where you're like oh right can i read six point font from this distance no you can't you can't do it <laughs> doesn't happen so yeah tell me what this film's about because i still okay. have to even so watching it the, a couple hours ago and not realize what the fuck it's actually about still i hate this synopsis that's written on here i don't know what maniac wrote Great, this well, there's going to be some hate coming its way anyway okay so. ready <clears throat> I'm ready. Following the gruesome murder of a young woman in her neighborhood, a self-determined woman living in New York City, as if to test the limits of her own safety, propels herself into an impossibly risky sexual liaison. 
Soon, she grows increasingly wary about the motives of every man with whom she has contact and about her own. Hmm. That's how it is. That, yeah, that's... I do understand. I don't. Un I just read that, and I don't understand what that means. No, I don't understand that either. So let's see if I can. Let's see. I'm just gonna off the cuff. I'm gonna come up with something. Yeah, yeah. You've you've done the you've done the work. So I wanna I wanna hear. I mean, I didn't write it down. I'm just gonna. I'm gonna. Just well, you've seen it twice. Roll with it. At least I've only seen it once. So. So you've got Franny Avery, an English teacher. She's kind of lonely, maybe looking for love, maybe not. There's been some murders. Mm. She meets Mark Ruffalo's character, Detective Giovanni Malloy, mm. and they get into a sexual relationship, and there's still murders happening. Yeah, pretty much. So it's almost like the movie is about their sexual discovery of each other. Pretty much. Opening up their boundaries mm -hmm. and borders of their love and legs. Yeah. And then there's murders. Yeah, Who's the, the murderer? Yeah. Um, this, is, this is meant to be an erotic thriller. It's penned as an erotic, erotic thriller, yeah. That's what they describe it as. But thriller it is not. It is not particularly thrilling, no. It's a little slow. I mean, there's, there's a time or two where I can say, yes, erotic. Yeah, yeah. No, at least it delivers on that part, and it's fairly consistent all the way through. Yes. Um, it gives us that. Yeah. The the thing, I, I mean, I would agree with you. I think it's a story about their their relationship and how they meet and how they they get close to each other. But it's also kind of offset from the fact that, that Ruffalo, who's playing Giovanni, is the detective who's investigating these uh murders of all these women and he's questioning meg ryan as to one of the murders right because that's how they meet initially they meet. yes because he's questioning her because she's supposedly there was something happening in there in her garden they found like, one of the bodies in the garden or something or somewhere or she near was in the garden by? Very strange. This is something that I even after what like watching it only a few hours ago, I'm just kind of like, well, I don't fully understand why um yeah i don't yeah. know I'm, i know you see she comes home one day and you see the rough sitting on the stairs yeah and he's like hey i'm detective malloy i got some questions for you yeah and apparently that was like his second day of filming and he had a little bit of a panic attack all right okay yeah that's what campion was saying in the commentary she was saying that he was fine the first day you know, a beautiful blossoming flower, and mm -hmm. he was making jokes with everybody. He'd spent a lot of time with the, the local cops and okay. like the detectives, like the homicide detectives, trying to get into their heads and trying to get into his character. And he was fine day one, and I guess day two, he was like, "I don't know who my character is. I can't get into it." And Campion's like, "Uh," <laughs> like she didn't know what to do, so she's just like, "Sit down, yeah, <laughs> just sit down on the stairs," and that's what they shot. Oh, wow. And that's okay. what they have, yeah, because he was, like, panicking. Hmm. Don't know. It's a shame. He does, he does, I mean, he does a good job in this movie. He does. He's really um, lovely to watch. Yeah, he's, I mean, he's just good in anything. It's just a shame that, obviously, what he's given is just a, <laughs> there's just not enough, enough meat on the bones, so to speak. I don't know, you saw some meat and some bones. Yeah, you definitely see <laughs> some bones. Um, 
this like murder, this murder story, and there's a serial killer on the loose, technically. Yes. Who's doing all this stuff? Um, and yeah, and then it's this relationship as well, and the murders are almost kind of like a side note until they start I think to that's, I until they start to like that. until they start kind of entering her life on a personal level. You of know? course, um, they both have something that the other one didn't know that they needed, mm-hmm. and. The way that they meet is, I don't know, people meet in strange ways and they hit it off and, I don't know, they connect. And I thought that was really lovely in a mix of a lot of weird shit and a lot of, not necessarily nonsensical because the movie makes sense, it's just not... It makes sense, it's just kind of, it's not very rewarding. I mean, Um, Campion also said she, in an interview, she's like, you've seen all of this before, you know, I'm basically retreading old ground that other directors have done and i'm like wow okay well that's a level of honesty you don't really want to hear no when you're trying to promote a film we haven't even talked about my favorite thing which is like right in the beginning of the movie well it's not my absolute favorite but Mm. it's at nine minutes it within the first nine minutes of the movie you see a penis yeah. And yeah. this bit's a bit it's gross. It's so funny. So yeah. Franny is meeting with a student. She's, you know, as we said, an English professor. She's meeting with a student at a bar. Mm-hmm. And she has to use the toilet. So she is trying to find the toilet, goes downstairs, and yeah. stumbles upon a man receiving a fellatio. He's a receiving blowy. a blowy job. Yes, a blowy job. And... She just stands in the doorway and really just locks her eyes on this on this dick yeah. and this blowjob. So she's getting all these details, mm-hmm. tons of details. So you've got the woman's hand who's got blue fingernails with little diamondies on them, little mm-hmm. sparkles. Little diamantes. Yeah. yeah. And she's got brown hair. Mm-hmm. And you can't see the man. He's completely enveloped in, in shadow. Yeah. You can tell you he's smoking a cigarette. He is though. smoking. Yeah. And she's just going to town on this thing, and it's quite striking. Mm. <laughs> it's a very, very close shot of that dick. Yeah. And, yeah, she's all over it. And, of course, I'm always wanting to know, is that real? Is that prosthetic? And it is. Mm. that one is a prosthetic that apparently Campion had to go find. And she was saying that she remembers specifically trying to cast the dildo Mm. of the film. Yeah. And when Meg Ryan saw it, she said it looked like a Christmas tree. She goes, oh, it's all green and red. It's so pretty. Oh, God, really? I mean, I don't know what it looked like, you know, on the shelf. All right, okay. It was all green and red? I don't know. I mean, it was... It's not green and red in the film. Well, no, it doesn't actually look, you know like colorful but it's got like you know fleshy you know yeah pieces to it you know (laughs) i mean to be honest it looks convincing enough (laughs) it does look convincing that's what i'm saying you know it's got your veins and your fleshy bits and your pinks and yeah your colors like it's red and green though i don't understand i don't know so they bought something that wasn't fleshy colored they had to maybe they had to get it to where you know when you put the lights on it it looks a certain fleshy way Either way, the scene the scene's a little bit a little bit gratuitous. Maybe doesn't need the dick sucking. But well, I mean, it I guess does. It's, of course it does. I guess it's because there. it all ties in to the theme of the film and how Franny is exploring her sexuality and exploring who she is as a mm. sexual being. Really makes sense 
when we find out what's going on with this, who is this person? Yeah. Who is this person getting the blowjob? Who is this person doing the blowing? Yeah. We see that this person receiving the blowjob has a tattoo. Hey, Ryan, pick a card, any card. Three of spades. Correct. Oh, okay. Wow. <laughs> That's insane. <laughs> yeah, he's got this three of spades on tattooed on his wrist. Oh, I'm sure that's going to come in, come into play later, yeah, don't well, you think? Yeah, well, that close-up on that shitty tattoo. Thank God they shot it. Yeah. Otherwise, we never would have known. It's just, I don't know, it's just gauche hate stuff like that. Well, what's even more gauche is I think the next time we see her, she's Franny's in class and it looks like a high school class, Mm. probably community college is what it looks like. Yeah. But it's this little tiny class and we see this big blackboard and it's got this gigantic lighthouse on the blackboard and it's like big and red. It's like all chalked in with color, which is weird for a blackboard well it has to be a certain color because it's also a gigantic signpost yes yeah yes that you know campion was saying that she laughed in the commentary when she saw that lighthouse she goes "Ugh, that's the only thing i regret in this film (laughs) is that lighthouse drawing on the blackboard she has she called it pathetically phallic yeah she's like i hate it she goes i hate that that's in here I'm, like, just showing this big phallic lighthouse. I hate it. Yeah. And, yeah, I mean, of course, when you look at it, you're like, that looks like a dick. And it's got, like, the little light kind of beams, like, in chalk, poked above the top of the lighthouse. And I'm like, that looks like, you know, an exploding penis. Yeah, like throbbing cock. Yeah. Yeah. All red. Yeah. It's ridiculous. It just looks silly. (laughs) Looks silly. There have been murders. There have been murders. Oh, no. People have been disarticulated. Disarticulated? What's that? Well, the thing is, we do find out what disarticulated means an hour later into the film. Yeah, of course. We're sitting there like, what is disarticulated? I assume it means dismembered. Well, he has removed the person's articulation. That's what happened. They've removed their articulate their reason to articulate. So if I take oh. off your arms and legs, you can no longer articulate. I don't know why, but I was thinking arti- when you articulate, is that not speaking? Yeah, but you have points of articulation in your joints. Oh. Yeah. So, okay. Yeah, that's... So you're, t- you're cutting off the point of my joints. You could have just fucking said. The oh, point I've, of my joints. I've taken, I've, they've dismembered, they've taken off the arms and legs They've removed the fucking head. Yeah. It's all fucked up. I mean, it's dismember. Like, you could just say that. That I understand. It's so, I mean, it's so convoluted and it's like he gives her so much detail as well where you're just kind of like, you've only just fucking met her and, and you're under the assumption that she has nothing to do with this as well. Of course. It's like, oh, you might have seen something. But yeah. then again, effectively, it kind of just kind of comes down, like, like when he first meets her, it just kind of comes down to Yulikar, uh, right? I want to be part of your life. You and know? does she, though? She looked like... The way that she looks, I don't know why they made her look like this in this mm. film. And I think that they got the entire wardrobe off of, like, a set of, like, a, a TV show pilot for, like, 400 bucks. Mm. I can't remember where I read that, but, like, it's just a bag of shitty clothes. Because their costumes are absolute trash, except for Mark Ruffalo, which doesn't There's really a costume change. designer on the film. Um... Well... 
it's terrible. I mean, to be honest, like I don't have much of an of, of an issue with like what they're wearing because if the film was great and it told a really interesting story, and the only thing holding it back was the costumes, I'd be like, okay, they should have got something else with the costumes. Problem is, is like they're making these characters look incredibly plain. Yes. But the problem is, is that overall the story doesn't lend them any sense of depth either. So the fact that they look a bit plain really doesn't fucking matter. I don't know about that. I think Franny has depth, sexual depth. Ugh. That's all we really get to know about her, to be fair, is her. It, it's just, it just, it's, it's disappointing. Almost halfway through where it just plummets and it becomes the most boring thing. And I mean, I just, I just zoned. I almost I mean, fell asleep. I perk up. I perk up every time like they start having sex. So, I mean, I was like pretty awake. During this scene when Malloy is telling Franny about the murder, yeah. she keeps getting these phone calls and her answering machine picks up in this amazing way where you get to hear Kevin Bacon's character yeah. What is his name? John Graham. Doesn't matter. Bacon's out there, mm-hmm. leaving her a message on her answering machine saying, I don't know why you don't pick up the phone. I don't think you're alone. We had sex. You don't even care. Is it yeah. just because we had sex or something? And then she looks out the window and that crazy asshole standing out in her garden with his little dog. Yeah. How, oh, it's so embarrassing. Like Ruffalo's character is like a step up from him. Right. In contrast, Ruffalo is very safe, very comforting, as opposed to yeah. Bacon, who's super overbearing and incredibly imposing. I think there's probably a lot of women in the world, and probably men too, that have dated somebody who have been a little on the scary side. That's the one thing I'll say about how they treat the main, like the male characters in this movie, is that they are the potential serial killer threat. Well, aren't men usually the serial killers? Yes. Yes, they are. They tend to be the ones with the murder, the murder vices, but... uh, And I don't... I haven't mentioned yet Ruffalo or Giovanni Malloy's amazing mustache, that gorgeous cop mustache. Yeah, it's like the handlebar mustache thing. I mean, it should have gotten its own credit in the film credits, that mustache. Yeah, it's something to be admired. It's really it's really beautiful. Mm-hmm. But he ends up leaving. He ends up showing her, I think, pictures of the, of the murdered girl. But, I mean, they're, they're quite gruesome. I mean, there's a decapitated head. I mean, you can't see anything, so I don't know why they're like... It's a oh, have of her seen, rolled over her head. Have just you like seen this woman? The, yeah. This bloody, decapitated half-head? Like, yeah. it's not helpful. No. It's I don't like, know why he's showing her here's that. Here's this fucked-up picture. Help us. Yeah, it, it, yeah. Does this look familiar? It's just do, you like, any, um... do you have any questions about this picture? Because it's all kind of fucked up. It's like, right, okay, well, thank you very much for no, that. No, I'd like to go to work now. Thanks for ruining my day. Yeah, that is like the most horrible thing. It's like, oh, he's still on the loose, right? Okay, well, that's fucking terrifying. Oh, yeah, he was right outside your window. All right, cool. This, like, is, this could be you. So how did he kill them? And it was like, oh, yeah, no, he, uh, he, uh, yeah, he disarticulated them. But by that, I mean he uh, slashed their throat through their chop their fucking heads off use different knives <laughs> and then also chopped off their fucking hands and their feet and uh, then strewn their body parts all over the place and they put a ring on their hands and it was like right okay well thank you very much for all this detailed information and I will no longer be able to sleep oh yeah yeah it's like fucking absolutely hell. not yeah Giovanni asks uh, Franny about her students and their students like uh, is it Will 
Oh, what, Cornelius? Yeah. Sir Cornelius something was his name? Oh, I can't remember his last name. Either way, his second name has two Bs in it, and, and obviously because, you know, he's a card. He goes, is that with one B or two Bs? That is the question. Okay. Oh. To Franny, yeah. And I just, I started, I just thought Oh my was... gosh, wait, say it again fast so I can laugh at it. So, is that one B or two Bs? That is the question. Oh, boom. That's a literary joke. Yeah. Because she's an English teacher. Yes. How clever. Yes, because this is also <laughs> during a scene as well where they've just picked her up and they're driving her in the car. I mean... I mean, would you go on a date with him after he so forcefully just wants to go on a go on a date with you? But then also the way he talks is like at every opportunity he's either telling her to go fuck herself or get fucked or fuck you. Like if she says something that he doesn't like hearing. Oh, as soon as she shows any sign of restraint or is not... Ex- or if she's not amenable to his advances, he shuts down completely and gets yeah. incredibly defensive. Yeah. And quite rude. Yeah. Actually. Mm-hmm. So that's what happens when they go on that date. They go to a bar together. She gets mm-hmm. all as jazzed up and as dressed up as she possibly can with her limited, terrible wardrobe and her yeah. like Miss Clairol boxed brown colored hair dye she got from Walgreens. Yeah, with her crazy bangs. Oh, those, oh, that. Yeah, those bangs, man. Oh, it's so bad. Like this just straight across fringe. And I say, yeah, I say bangs, but I'm also like in my mid-thirties. I'm going to say fringe from now on. I was expecting you to say fringe. Yeah, I don't know why I said that, but I remember. remember For the American audience? Probably. (laughs) Probably. Now I hate myself. (laughs) So I'd rather I just. You want to say it again? No, no. no. I think the only time I'm going to bring it up is when we start talking about some banging. Well, they go to the bar together when they're on that date, and he's saying some stuff to her. Like, if I don't know, if I was on a date with somebody, and they just look me straight in the eyes, and they say, I'll be anything you want me to be. You want me to treat you nice? You want me to tell you I love you and fuck you? I'll do anything you want. I just won't hit you. And you're like, Excuse me? Mm. I'll be anything you want, but I won't beat you up. I mean, to be fair, he's just putting it on Front Street that, like, he he, he he will fuck you. Yeah. Yeah. Like, he's very capable of doing it. Yes. And probably showing you a good time doing it. Yeah, I mean, I believed him. Yeah, well, that's good. He's very convincing. Yeah, that's good. Well, she ends up... I think changing the subject just a little bit. And she asked him about his tattoo because, oh, surprise, surprise. He has a three of spades tattooed on his wrist. Yeah. Where did we see that before? Blowjob man. Yeah. This is, this. yeah, this is one of the first times. And it happens quite a lot during the course of the movie is like where the, the signposting starts. And there's these diversions that you're, you're expecting and. I mean, we're connecting the dots. We've got the pictures on the wall with the yarn connecting person to person. Who's yeah. the murderer? It's like Who there's do we need a, to watch out for? Yeah, like a laundry line of red herrings just like strewn across yes. the, the plot of this film. That you're, That's what it should be called instead of in the yeah, cut. They're in, on the, the laundry line of red herrings. Yeah. Yeah. But she sees that tattoo and asks him, like, what is this tattoo? And he says, I'm in a club. 
I'm in an exclusive club. Yeah, some sort of exclusive like club. Yeah. But he changes the subject and starts talking about her ugly charm bracelet. <laughs> yeah, things like things like that always look bad. They, yeah, they it's yeah, another close great. up of this little charm bracelet and. Yeah. Has a little baby carriage on it. Yeah. And maybe alluding to the fact that she wants a baby in the future. I don't know. Who cares? Mm. And then for whatever reason, his partner shows up. His partner. Rodriguez. Ro- Detective Rodriguez shows Detective up. Detective Rodriguez, yeah. I think she was asking about him because when she meets Rodriguez for the first time, he doesn't have a, a proper gun. He has a little yellow squirt gun. Right. So, yeah, here's the thing. Jesus. Yeah, I remember this one. Um, so when they first, yeah, they first, we first meet Rodriguez, and I remember writing down in my notes after I saw it. <laughs> I was like, does this cop have a have a plastic toy gun in his belt? Yeah, he definitely does. And he 100% does, because they bring it up later, and I'm just like, oh, fuck, it's been referenced in the actual film. Yes. And then, and then again, in that defensive manner, um... Giovanni's got to defend his partner and be like, well, it's because, you know, he pulled a gun on his wife. It's not like he shot her or anything. He just wanted to scare her. He just wanted to scare her, so they took his gun away, and it's It's like... like, rightfully so. It's like, rightfully fucking so, you idiot. Like, what the fuck? (laughs) I was like, she's obviously mental. I mean, it's like, what the fuck is this? Red flag, red flag, red flag. Yeah, and he's like... Well, why'd you even ask that question? It's fucking stupid. And it's like, well... He's my partner. He's my best friend. Yeah, he's got a water gun in his belt. What's wrong with that? That's okay. It's his defense. You know, makes him feel better. They put him on shit duty, and I'm just like, I don't know. Like, actions have consequences, fool. Like, I mean, I don't understand, like, why why that was even a thing. It's laughable. And that yeah. seems that seems perfectly logical in this world that's been created No, here. I think that happens. Does it? I think that happens. Well, like in the other guys where he got that wooden gun. Yes. I was about to bring that up. Yes, absolutely. He gets a wooden gun because he can't handle a gun. He can't be trusted. Well, I don't know. You're not going to be much use in a shootout. You know what I mean? Unless you can get really close to the person, your water gun's full of vinegar. You know, I mean, I don't think it's going to make much use. <laughs> Seeing the two of them sit in that bar together and they completely ignore Franny and she just is looking bewildered and they're just talking the most absolute shit talking about there's a woman at the end of the bar and i think rodrigo was was saying like oh she wants to suck your dick or yeah some gross stuff there's some like i wrote some stuff down that they were kind of talking about tell me tell me so uh um he refers to to meg ryan's character as having bitch vision i wonder what that means she sees the world like a woman does so he has a problem oh. with that Oh well, I think that's what he's referring to. Okay, yeah, he's horrible. Yeah, Obviously, he's a fucking, well, yeah, he's we a find murderer. it. Yeah, he's a piece of shit. Um, <laughs> Rodriguez also. I thought you were gonna bring this up. Did you write that part down where when they that? were in the bar, and he looks over at a there was some woman in the bar, and he says, "All you need is two tits, a hole, and a heartbeat." Fuck yeah, I wrote that down. It's just it's so gross. Yeah, it's just their toxic masculinity. Well, it reminded me of a friend from school because it's again, it's a very juvenile kind of mentality that Rodriguez seems to have. But uh, it's like any hole's a goal. Ew. Yeah. That means anyone, man or woman. Oh well, good for him. We've all got holes. Yeah. So that's lovely. <laughs> Them together in a character dynamic is like toxic. Yeah. They're both just really awful yeah they're like um 
they're like kids at school. Like when when a kid's talking to like a girl at school or something like that, and then when their friend gets involved, they'd all just start like shitting on her for yeah. no other reason. Yeah. So it's just kind of like a bullying thing. Yeah, like Ruffalo's really lovely until Rodriguez shows up, and then he starts acting like a yeah, like a pure pressured brick. Yeah. yeah. Uh, he just yeah. starts acting like an asshole. I'm skipping ahead a bit, but. Yeah, because I get, I get, I kind of run a bit of a blank after that. Um, well, okay, that I will jog your memory mm. as Franny is leaving the bar. So let me say this one thing: like the, the the staggering amount of misogyny that is kind of going on with the male character to the point where they have absolutely zero appeal. Yeah, yeah. it's raging. Raging misogyny. Yeah. Yeah. All of them. And this was written by. Two women. Absolutely was. And also directed by a woman. Yeah. I mean, it was from the book written by a woman and Jane Campion wrote the script. Yeah. (laughs) So what the fuck's going on? Exactly. She told Ruffalo, Mm -hmm. this was her, one of her only notes to him, I think, was do not apologize. Mm. As a man in this film, you make no apologies for your actions or your words. Right. And he said, that felt so freeing. She leaves the bar because he's acting like a jackass. Yeah. And she's walking home mm-hmm. in the streets of New York at night. And I think maybe that's what the synopsis on Letterboxd was trying to say, like, to test the limits of her own safety. So she's walking home at night, you know, and she's in... Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, she gets attacked, doesn't she? Well, yeah. And also there's a fucking murderer around. Cutting people's heads off. So, yeah, there's a murderer. Dearticulating people. Indeed. That's the worst, yeah. She's walking home. Bada boom. No longer an action man. You're a, you're a he-man. Action she... figure. You're no, zero, <laughs> zero points of articulation. Yeah. And as she's walking away from the crime, she gets hit by a taxi. Yes. She gets straight hit by a car. Yeah, fucked up. Another male character written like a piece of shit. Like, just immediately. Oh, the cab driver? Yeah. He's like, it's not my fault, by the way. It's like, I'll give you a ride, but it's not my fault. I am slightly apologetic. (laughs) Don't apologize. Cabby, don't apologize. Thanks, Jane. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Malloy comes over. Yeah. To see her, and they kind of go through the mugging, and, Mm -hmm. oh, he had his arm around my neck, Oh, was it my left arm? Was it the right arm? And they start to get a little intimate. Yeah. And Ruffalo really, really starts going for it. I mean, there's no pause. I mean, he really, he gets his arm around her and then just starts rubbing nips. It seems like his character is just wanting to do this. Yes. And I... He's been wanting to do this ever since he set eyes on her. He wanted that Franny Fanny and he's going to get it. I mean, he, he does get it. Just me, it's just like uh, you say it in such a way where I'm just like, it's like, it's like he's just gonna, he's gonna get it, you know? Like it's not, no, no messing. Well, it's you know it. what I, I do like this scene. They know what's gonna happen, and they, and they really just kind of go for it. Ruffalo just kind of starts getting undressed. Like he gets his clothes off really, really fast. Yeah, it becomes this kind of methodical process where he's he rubs her boobies a little bit and. Almost without without a second thought, clothes are off. Yeah, he gets his gun, his badge. Yeah, like he takes all off his like equipment. eight guns, 
puts eight guns on the countertop. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, he just lies down in bed and he's naked. Totally and... stark bollock naked. <laughs> this is my bet. This is my favorite bit in the whole thing because I'm not 100% sure this bit where she comes in with the condom. And, and for whatever reason, I just hear him say, sup? Yeah, he definitely doesn't say that. <laughs> <laughs> we had to rewind it because he was like, I, don't know what I didn't know said. what he said. But he's, yeah, she kind of holds the condom up in the air and he's like, like what's that? What? <laughs> sup? <laughs> that's pretty funny. See, they practice safe sex. It's, that's a good thing to show. Feels like it's it's a little bit unbelievable. Well, Just I don't know. I mean, you don't have to know someone deeply or implicitly to have sex with them. Uh, no, you don't. <laughs> you um, do not. No, no, you don't even need to know their name. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> it just happens, yeah. you know. And so I don't know. It makes sense to me. You don't have to know each other. Maybe you just have this electricity, this spark between you, and you're just like. You want to you want to explore it. Yeah, you're you want to explore it naked. Yeah, you're horned up, just needing the. Ugh. Okay, well, she still has her little slip. I think she's wearing a slip. Takes that off. Well, no, he just goes take him off. Take she's, off your pants. Well, she's wearing a slip, and she takes that off. Oh, you mean the dress? I mean, you mean the slip-on panties? Oh no, no. All right, okay, okay. Oh, her her granny panties that she's wearing. Oh, so they're granny panties. Are Those they? are saggy panties with like. Those look like panties that you... Ugh. Those are granny panties. Okay. They're horrible. Right. But then again, we go back to the wardrobe. It's horrible. It's an ugly wardrobe. Okay. The reason he wanted to take them off is because he couldn't get a boner when he saw those horrible panties. As soon as he gets her underwear off, I think you see... You see his penis. You see Ruffman's mm. penis. And if you yeah. want to clock that in, it's at 40 minutes and 18 seconds. Okay. Roundabouts. Okay. Go ahead. <laughs> Mark it down. Mm. It's funny. Well, so, yeah, I mean, they just start, they start going for it. Um, he, he kind of turns her over. Yeah. And it's funny because when I watch it for the first time, I'm like, oh, he's eating her butt. And. Yeah, that's what it looks like. It does. And. Uh, Jane Campion said that she was speaking with someone. I, I think they were doing an interview. Mm-hmm. And the person doing the interview said, oh, he's rimming her. Mm. And Campion's like, what? I don't I don't know what that means. And she had to explain it. And then Jane Campion's like laughing in the commentary. And she's saying, well, that's not what I intended. I intended for him to be, you know, focusing on her vagina. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Just like yeah, it just sounds kind of like uh, it's like that bit in Fifty Shades of Grey where she's like looking at the contract and she goes, "What's a butt plug?" Oh my god! Yeah, and you're like, "Well, how can you not know?" You're you've, like, "Turn this trash off." It's like you know exactly what's going on here. Yes. You don't know what a butt plug is, so he eats her out and they have a little break. Yes. And then they sit and they talk about he's like he they're they're both lying in bed or she goes to get a drink. Yeah, she I think she brings she them back. water. Yeah. And he's laying in bed and you get uh, your second glimpse at the ruffalo penis and yeah. It's very casual. It's just like it's very any, innocuous, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's like any of, normal it's just, human it's being. There. Yeah, I mean, it's there. I feel like anyone's been in that everyone's been in that situation. You're postcoital you're probably a little sweaty. Lying naked. Just, you're just, you know, you're just having a chat. You don't have yeah, to be and you go get a glass of water. But you like, can tell, you can tell totally during normal. a certain point of the scene, she comes back to the bed and he's lying there and he starts talking. At some point, he brings the cover to cover over. He does. His penis. 
And also you notice that Meg Ryan does the exact same thing to make sure that it's properly covered up as well. Is she? Yes. You can see her shuffling the covers because she's not. She's on top of the covers. There's no need for her to move them at all. The ratings board's going to hate it. It becomes a problem. Yeah. They're, yeah. Gonna, they're either going to want to cut it out of the film mm-hmm. or... Want to hide them. Yeah, or hide it. Mm-hmm. So you can't... You can't have a penis and a vagina too close to each other in a sexual situation, which is ridiculous, which is why we're watching, obviously, the unrated cut of the movie, which has an extra minute, which is just an extra minute of dicks. Yeah, pretty much. So she said to him, how did you learn how to do these things? Because obviously he's very well versed and very talented. Yeah. So she wants to know, oh, how did you know how to do these things? And he kind of tells her his backstory of an older woman that taught him the ways of the vagina he's kind of demonstrating on her and i gotta tell you <laughs> jackie chan in the ways of the vagina and then he explained to her like how he did it like methodically the process in which he did it okay and how it was because that's how that's how everyone wants to hear about how that how that happens it's like foreplay comes in many different ways that's fine it's like Could I'm just, just be- gonna, I'm gonna tell you every single little it works. It works. Spreadsheets. Take PowerPoints. notes, people. Pie charts. I want your sexy pie charts. Show me your flow chart. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. Oh, dear. Okay. When they, yeah, so when they actually have sex this time, he has, he explained to her, he's like, oh, that old lady that taught me sex told me to stare directly into their eyes when you're having sex. And he's just pumping away, just staring right into her face. Yeah, yeah. I liked it's, it. Yeah, I mean... It was nice. It's a thing, yeah. I mean... But... It's, it's... I mean, I just... There's so... I mean, I can't... Up until this point, right, the cinematography has been spotty at best. You know what I mean? Oh, I know exactly what you mean. the issue, like, the main issue I have is a lot of this, like, split diopter, shallow focus sort of stuff. Yeah. And you're like, oh, okay, so they're going for a stylistic thing here. The problem is, is that it just ends up being overused, and it's there far too much. And even to the detriment of just being like, well... I can't see what's going on because it's not actually in focus. Right. Problem is, yeah, it plays that card a little bit too, little bit too much. She's often seeing those poetry snippets on the subway, and you can't fucking read them. No, you can't read them because at all. it's flipping back and forth. No. And I'm like, either read it out loud to me or focus the camera because I need to know what it says. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't make any difference to the movie what they say. No, no. But the problem is, is like, for, for quite a large portion of the time, half of the film is practically not in focus. <laughs> right. For yeah. seemingly no particular reason whatsoever. The only reason she seemed to do it is because she thought it looked interesting. For a little bit of flair. Yeah. See? Style over substance. Problem is, is that this film doesn't really have any style, and it certainly doesn't have any substance, so I don't know what it's going over with. Mark Ruffalo? Yeah. Bit of the rough? Bit of the rough. Bit of the rough stuff. Rough stuff. Yeah. They kind of like, by this point, and there's a lot of the film I kind of forget, um, even though we watched it not too long ago. <laughs> and I kind of I kind of start to get a bit bored, and I kind of start to get a little bit sleepy. And then I'm kind of like, I'm like, where's the thriller? 
there hasn't really been any. I mean, there's a little bit. We get to see a little tiny bit of it. At the point where I'm at the, I'm like, I'm almost tipping over into just like falling asleep and just being like, you know what, my day's over. I don't need this to continue. There's like, there's a murder. What I like is a little bit of a dismembered body in a washing machine mixed with a little bit of phone sex. Yes. He starts the conversation with, there's been a murder and he it's really like a message. Well. He goes into all these very big, excruciating details. And then, like, while he's still on the phone, he just says to the rest of the team, he's like, I'm out. And he leaves and he gets in his car. And as the car's pulling away, you can see, like, a couple of, like, what might have been this, this poor girl's friends, uh, also students, just kind of like crying and things. And so then. Her friend is dead. And her friends are dead. And then he's on the phone and he's driving away. And then he just starts this, like, excruciatingly detailed like sex conversation with her on the phone yeah he's having her do things to herself tells her to sit down if she's standing and yeah and i mean again this is all in the movie and it's just kind of like getting to this like crescendo where she's like oh no this is really good and he's like yeah yeah, yeah." and he's like kind of gives her all these other details and things and he's just like i gotta go and he hangs up (laughs) and and the next thing we know he like picks her up to to go to the woods to shoot guns at trash bags in a river. <laughs> yeah, this is the... <laughs> I mean, how do you like your bacon? I don't like it at all. Crazy. <laughs> Crazy bacon. Crazy bacon. <laughs> well, bacon's in her apartment, and he had asked her, you know, did I ever tell you that my mom dressed me up in women's blouses? And Yeah. <laughs> and Franny says, yes, you did. Which oh, is right. so strange. Yeah. But he's following her out of the apartment. She's like, I gotta go. It looks like he's trying to trap her in there. And then he yeah. kind of goes into this weird rampage. And they're walking down the street in the rain, right? He starts asking all of the women to fuck him. He goes, will you yeah. have sex with me? <laughs> he's just screaming at these women in the street. Will you have sex <clears throat> with me? And he's like pounding his fist on these like aluminum shutter doors. Oh, it was so weird. Oh, no. Oh, no, what's happened to Pauline? Well, something has definitely happened to oh, Pauline. Oh, no. What's in the bag? What's in the bag? What's in the bag? So, yeah, this is the... Uh, God, yeah. <laughs> so... I said I was going to talk about Seven. Yeah, I know, I know. So she goes to the sink and... She opens up the bag and she's like, I don't want to open up the bag because she's like, I know what the fuck's in that bag. And kind of like a Somerset from Seven who opens the box. She opens the bag and we see uh, Pauline's head, disembodied head, sitting in this plastic bag. And the thing is... Oh my goodness. And this is, this again, this is my favorite bit out of the film because it just, it's just, it's fucking traumatic. It's horrible. Yes. But she picks up the bag and she sits on this bloody floor and the shower's still running. And she just hugs, hugs the head in the yeah. plastic bag. This is a film that has like a ton of red herrings. Because not only is Kevin Bacon painted out to be the potential murderer, Mark Ruffalo is also painted out to be the potential murderer. Her students also painted out to be the potential murderer. Yeah. As well, because he's doing a paper on John Wayne Gacy. So Giovanni takes Franny back to the police station 
it, it, it shows her the evidence. It shows her the ring. He's already been talking about, like, engaging people because that's something he does. And we're already aware that he's he's married twice before. He's got kids and stuff like that. He wants to be engaged to, uh, to, to, to Franny. Yes. And then, obviously, this the killer who's just, like, putting rings on these... Yeah. dismembered hands they're pushing us and pushing us and pushing us in this direction oh god yeah and i don't want to go there she keep pushing us one of the biggest things and it's unfortunate but one of the biggest things and it's the thing that i really fucking hate is that it pushes you in a direction where it's the cop that's doing the murdering while they're investigating the murdering i yeah. hate it yeah hate it with a passion yeah it's tired they have their last kind of sex scene in the, in the film, and she's drunk. She gets his handcuffs out, and she, like, handcuffs his arm. And you think he says, like, am I going to like this? And she's like, I don't know. And she, like, handcuffs him to, like, her water pipe. And yeah. she gets on him, and she's, like, slapping his hand away. Like, don't touch me. Yeah. Don't touch me. Like, I'm going to ride I'm gonna ride this, you know. And he's yeah. on a little swivel chair. And she just um, rides him like a horse. And... He is trying to get her to unlock him after. I mean, this is like a grief sex situation. Like, she starts crying after. You yeah. Because she lost her sister and it's really horrible. And she goes in his coat pocket to find the handcuff key. Yeah. And what she finds inside his pocket is that little charm of, like, the baby carriage thing that she'd lost. Yeah, it went missing after their first sex session. Right, after yeah. she was mugged and you know she was like oh where's this thing all sorts of stuff and he's like oh i forgot to give it back to you i went back to where you were mugged and i went and found it and found it yeah and she's like drunk and she's angry and she's like no you're the one you're the one that mugged me Mm -hmm. and she's trying in her head to like connect all these dots and it's like uh, it's it's insane like she's just going hard like you're the one who did it you're the one that mugged me you're the one getting the blowjob. You have a tattoo. You're the yeah. one. And then he's like, wait, the tattoo? Mm-hmm. And then he connects something in his head where he's like, wait, 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 no. And then she grabs his coat. He starts screaming like, no, get me out of here. Yeah. I, 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 I have these handcuffs. And she runs out the door wasted, no shoes on, in this, this ridiculous dress. Yeah. And who does she run into? But freaking Rodriguez. Yeah, his partner. His partner. And she's crying in his car and he's driving you somewhere. Yeah. And he drives her to his favorite fishing spot and drives her to a lighthouse under like the George Washington Bridge. This is also the same guy who had emotional issues and now carries a water pistol instead of a real gun. Yeah, because he threatened his wife. Because he threatened his wife. And yeah, so now we're back at the final signpost. The lighthouse, the red lighthouse. The actual red lighthouse that we've been seeing the entire course of the movie. Right. Yeah. And this, I think, is the first time where she sees the tattoo. Giovanni's not the murderer, but his partner Rodriguez is. Oh, gosh. And you're like, okay. There's, yeah, Rodriguez, like, again, the, the 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 most telling thing, and I think this is kind of where where it kind of started to go a little bit downhill for me, is like, he's like, he's got a plastic toy gun. Because then, after she sees the tattoo, it's like, 
you see it in her eyes. She's like, oh my God, I made a huge mistake. Yeah, I'm an idiot. <laughs> I made a huge He's mistake. He's part of an exclusive club too. <laughs> she gets away, but um, she walks home. There is, she walks well, she ends up. Yeah, she ends Manhattan. up. Yeah, she ends up shooting the dude and killing him. Yeah. And then, well, you looked up on, on maps. Well, the thing is, like, it drove me crazy that you see her walk her ass all the way home and I'm like I have to know how long that took yeah that's a 10 mile walk right from the George Washington Bridge to lower Manhattan that's 10 miles that's yeah. three and a half hour walk okay luckily it's daytime when she gets home but the fact that she left the murderer laying on the ground in this like lighthouse thing he had mm -hmm. keys to a car yeah I assume he had a cell phone yeah probably. and I also assumed it was a cop car that he was driving because he is a homicide detective. Yeah. Does he not have a radio? Like, why is she walking three and a half hours home? And she's walking down the middle of a highway covered in blood. Yeah. From head to toe. No one's helping her. No one's stopping. No. No one called the police. She no. was able to walk home. And like, why didn't you stop at the first freaking bodega or gas station that you saw? Yeah. I mean, Trying you get some help. went through a trauma and you're yeah. not... It's it's total nonsensical, wild bullshit. Yeah. That was like the one thing that made me so angry. I'm like, how yeah. did you get... You walked home barefoot? 10 miles? Yeah. No way. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. I mean, it happens. But it happens purely for us to see what she comes home to. She doesn't even go to the police station. She walks home. She walks directly home, opens her door. And what she <laughs> opens the door to... <laughs> Is Mark Ruffalo, who looks like he's, like, tried to rip his clothes off. Because he's been handcuffed to this water pipe. All night. All night. And he's, like, ripped his clothes off. He's obviously trying to, like, break the water he pipe. and it's some of it. And it's leaked all over the floor. <laughs> and his his arm is, is up, hanging like off of the water the pipe. Like, he just lost the chair. Chair's gone. He's lying on the ground. Totally disheveled, mostly undressed, covered in water, <laughs> in a puddle, and she opens the door, she's covered in blood, they don't say anything. Nope. She just walks over, gets on her knees, and then lies beside him. Like for a little, she wants to be the little spoon. Pretty much. Pretty much. And the door closes and the film ends. End credits. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's a rough time. <laughs> this movie well, how does the book end yeah so i was interested to find this out because i had read somewhere that the book ends differently so i found the book and i just read the end of the book and same murderer but he takes her there cuts off one of her nipples Ugh. yeah it's disgusting keeps it in his pocket and she dies <laughs> so yeah conclusion so this film uh, as you could imagine was not very well received no i think it also is pointed to the time where you can see meg ryan's career kind of stop and come to a standstill yeah she, she got a lot of flack for this film unfortunately and yeah, it, it did not do well. It was not rated very highly by any critics or the audience. No one 
quite cared for this. I don't know if they knew what they were getting into. It has a strangely high rating on Letterboxd for some Does reason. Does it? Yeah, 3.0. Oh. Yeah, so better than average. Yeah, no, that's quite, that's quite decent. There's this one thing that I kept seeing where CinemaScore, which I never... I never look at, but it gave it an F rating, which apparently only 22 films they've ever rated have gotten an F. What, as in, like, fail? Yeah. Oh, okay. Like, A to F. I think it has some interesting bits, but it definitely came into a lot of controversy, but it all really settled on Meg Ryan. Um, No one else really got a lot of heat for this film. No. Well, the problem is, is that she was painted into a nice little Hollywood box and no one wanted to see her bits and bobs, really. Yeah. And that's what it kind of boiled down to. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's quite a shame for her to find something she was quite passionate about and then, you know, to just be, like, shunned completely for it. It's not only that she was passionate about it, but also Nicole Kidman was passionate about it. And then by oh, the yeah. time the film's released, I'd be like, look, you dodged a fucking bullet there. Maybe. I mean, this film with Nicole Kidman in it? I don't know. Does not fix the story, and it does not fix the issues this film has. I'd like and, to see it. Well, I personally feel like In the Cut comes out in 2003. Yes. You're looking at the downfall of the erotic thriller. Right. If I mean... It's hard to <laughs> compare erotic thrillers. <laughs> you know, there's so many to choose from. Yeah, but they have interesting, intriguing stories, you know? Because it feels like they're a thriller first that's really well written and very well constructed. The eroticism comes afterwards and like, okay, so how how do we develop this into being more of the sexy thriller? Like, what do we do with our our female protagonist? What do we do with our male protagonist? How do we bring that together? How do we make these scenes a little bit more? Because, like, you can have a straight-up thriller, and it works. In the Cut is trying to be a straight-up thriller. It doesn't work. You take the sex out of this movie... You're getting a different thing, and they're definitely trying to separate these two bits of the movie with your two different storylines. Well, I guess that's like that's the main problem with it then, though. You know that's what, what I mean? I'm, yeah, that's what yeah. I was trying to say as well. Like, if you're not entwining them in a way, I feel like one can run away from the other. Mm-hmm. Try to tie them together like they did in this one, it just kind of fails. Yeah. Because when you're not following the cop who's investigating this... It kind of, you're like, you see less crime. You see less of the crime. And then when you're just kind of focused on the female character who's kind of, for whatever reason, just kind of entwined in it purely because Mark Ruffalo had an eye for her. Because we just don't know. Or was it because she saw him getting a blowy? I mean, I'm I'm still... I don't know. I still don't know. And it's kind of like the dude who was getting the blowjob, which is Rodriguez, by the way. Of course. um, He must see her. Maybe that's why they went down that direction. Problem is, is that it's not... It's not like he's knocking people off in this way. Like, you never know. You never get to follow that storyline to find out why he's murdering these people, who these people even are. You have no idea. And then he kills her sister? Yeah. Why? Yeah. 
that makes it way too obvious because that's just showing you something. Too obvious, too close, too personal. Absolutely. Like, ah, that just makes me mad. I just, show me, yeah, show me the relationship part, leave the rest of it out. And yeah. And I'll be happy. It just kind of doesn't have a sense of intrigue and it just doesn't. The only thing it kind of does deliver on is the depiction of their relationship and how that how that works out. I, I like guess. that a lot. Even though she's a bit she's pointing fingers too much. <laughs> she has like zero trust. Yeah, the problem is, is though, fair, it's like if you take the murder part out of it, then she's not pointing fingers and you just kind of have an intimate character study yeah. of this relationship that develops. He just happens to be a cop and she happens to just be a be a the suspected witness to yeah. a crime and it's kind of a little bit more interesting that way but then all these things i mean the only reason why we are questioning it so heavily is because it just begs too many questions by the time it wraps up and you don't feel like it's been constructed well enough in order for you to to feel satisfied by the end of it you know Ryan, do you think that they end up together after all is said and done, and she un- uncuffs him from the water? I mean, she's probably going to uncuff him from the wa- from the water pipe, and he's just going to go get fucked, and he's going to walk away, and then he'll come back like a day later and, and like complain about his children, and then they'll probably get engaged. You know? <laughs> and it's like everything's going to be okay in the end, and then he'll tell her at some point, like, "Well, you can just go get fucked," and then he'll come back again like after a day. It's just the way their relationship will work. I think I know your answer, as I typically do. Ryan, yeah. would you recommend this movie? No. Okay. I wouldn't. Um, I think we know why. It's just, it's, just a, it's just a really bad film. I mean, it's just... If you think, if you think about the staple of work that, that Campion has been able to create over her time as a filmmaker, this one stands out to such a degree where I'm just kind of like, would you not have noticed this in the, in the script section where... It, it just doesn't work, you know? It doesn't work on any level, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and also cinematically, that, I mean, it, it, as a story, it's just not interesting. It's actually quite boring. I mean, it, it almost put me to sleep. And then also in terms of how it looks as a, as a piece of cinema, it's incredibly stilted and it's also incredibly kind of... Uh, uh, it's, it's lacking vision. It's lacking any sort of structure. It's lacking any sort of like visual integrity, and it just looks a bit, just looks directionless, you know. And uh, it's okay. quite, it's quite a shame, quite a shame, because you could have had something actually quite interesting at coming out of this, you know. We've got a couple of stars who are like bearing their all effectively. Yeah. But the material that they've been left with is, is a uh, tripe, utter tripe. I think I would recommend this movie. Why? Because I have to have a counterpoint to your to your no. And right. here's why. I'm waiting to hear this. Mark Ruffalo's penis is in this film. Oh, God. Right, okay. <laughs> That's why we're here. The film's not de- deserving of it, though. It is messy. I don't... I don't particularly like a lot of things about it. I wish that it's very indicative of the victims of this of the of the murderer. It's like disarticulated. <laughs> it starts off with a penis, even though it's a prosthetic, 
in the first 10 minutes of this film, okay? I'm into that. It kind of sets us up for for things that are going to happen. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I have to explain it that much more. The film no. is, is, is tough to watch. It does have a lot of interesting things in it. Mm-hmm. Um, I do not want to watch this movie again, so maybe that's something, something to say. No. But, but I'm glad I watched it. I think if you have two hours to spare and want to see a tender Mark Ruffalo... Mm-hmm. In the nude from time to time, um, their relationship is lovely in the film, and I think that that's worth paying attention to. Yeah. And for that, I would I would recommend this movie. I think we've we've done our duty here. Let's put it this way: there's a conversation that Giovanni and Fran have uh, ends up becoming an argument where Fran goes to Giovanni and says uh, there's no such thing as a bad blowjob to the point where Giovanni goes at length to describe there could be a bad blowjob. (laughs) (laughs) So just because, just because, and let's say this is like the film, just because it's like a blowjob and it has all the parts that make it a blowjob, this film necessarily is pretty much... Not that blowjob. This film is a bad blowjob. It's a bad blowjob. Okay. It's all teeth and... So, for our ratings for visibility and context, I'll, I'll go first. I'll okay. give my, my visibility and context rating for the Ruffalo. I mean, I'm not going to include the prosthetic at the beginning, but I'm yeah. going to give Ruffalo... I want to give it a four, but I'm thinking maybe it's more of a three and a half. Because it's nice, it's casual... I'm going to give it a four. I'm going to go for four. Okay. For the film, two. Hmm. Two for the film. Okay. In total. Four for the scene. Okay. I feel comfortable with that. Okay. What say you, Rye Dog? Um, probably a two and a half for... For the visibility, obviously okay. you're, yeah. Because I mean, you see it, but I mean, I'm just not, I'm just not in it. You know what I mean? Okay. You just, you're kind of just <laughs> like, okay, well, there it is. Okay. And obviously, you know, in terms of the context, I mean, that's that's fine. It gets full marks for that. But uh, I'd rate the film just the same way I rate it on Letterboxd, half a star. Oh my god. Yeah. Oh, that's bad. Because it's a mess. Uh, if you watch this movie, you're going to have a rough time. <laughs> Coming at you from the basement of the Red Turtle Bar. Yeah, more ways than one. This has been On the Beat. I have been Laura. And I have been Ryan. Thank you for being here. Make sure to find us on Instagram, on Twitter, on our website, on thebeat.com. And wherever you find your podcast, thank you so much for listening. And we hope to see you next time. Hopefully with a better film. Well, it's your pick next. Thank fuck. <laughs> Bye-bye. See ya. This episode was recorded before Cannes 2021, in which Julia DeCarno, who directed a movie called Raw... Uh, has gone with a movie called Titan, which has won the Palme d'Or. Julia DeCardo is 
the second woman to ever win the Palme d'Or alongside Jane Campion. Even to the point where in her speech, she mentions as the second woman to win this award, Jane Campion was very much on my mind. Well, she's probably not seen in the cut then. Yeah, but Idle Hands is actually a Columbia Films release, but it really doesn't matter. Campion actually has a new film coming out uh, with Benedict Cumberbatch, which is called The Power of the Dog. So there you go.